0: Welcome to the Humane Roundup podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger.
1: Welcome to episode 74. How's it going, Officer Bishop?
2: it's gone it's been a rough one around here but
1: have you been you know it's good we're a little over a week away from animal protection officer appreciation week i'm really excited to get some of those bonus episodes out so if you're listening and want to give a shout out please check us out on our website humane roundup.com. you can call us right from your cell phone if you have one of those things
2: if you have one god I hope. so, in this so
1: we have a bunch of people booked to come on the show but if you want to do like a quick shout out uh, leave us a voice message at 916-241-3464 again 916-241-3464 we'll get those shout outs in there i uh, definitely want to appreciate everybody for all the hard work they're doing in this thankless industry and you know it's our week so celebrate it get some good food hopefully your department's putting something on for you and uh, you're appreciated we we know you're appreciated so
2: yeah definitely if and if your department isn't you know what we're still here for you we still appreciate you we know what you're going through so
1: for sure so what do we got on tap today bishop
2: so today i wanted to bring on a guest speaker um dr carlo riolo He is the founder and president of the PAW Health Network Vet Clinic. Um, I have been working with him for a couple of years now, and we've worked very closely on some cases he's helped me out on, um, and his wealth of knowledge is amazing. So I was hoping we could kind of get him on here and see, from a vet's perspective, like when we take an animal to them, what are they expecting from us? And how can we help them to make sure that we're making a strong case for an animal that, you know, for neglect or cockfighting, dogfighting, whatever it might
1: be. And you, it's such a, it, it's so important for us. Now we have a few, we have our shelter veterinarian, but we also contract with an emergency vet. So after hours, or we might have some specialists that we work with. Is that kind of what he, uh, he is for you and your community?
2: Um, yeah. And and we can bring him in here to kind of talk about that. So he does, as you know, I'm with the police department. Mm-hmm. So um, he's kind of my go-to round the clock, but he also, his clinic works with our shelter as well, Perfect. Um, which is fantastic. Cause I can go here, I have this animal that I need you to inspect, but then you know, tomorrow morning, can you have the shelter staff just bring it back to the shelter because it's held for cause now, too?
1: Sure. Um, and be- and- before, we, before we bring them on, let's talk about some of those animals that we would bring. So you brought up like cockfighting, injured animals. I know for us, depending on the time, we might have like a parvo animal that needs to go, right, uh, mm-hmm. w- which we will have our veterinary staff. If they need to do a parvo test and that needs to be monitored overnight or put on some sort of, you know, treatment plan, that type of thing, uh, hit by car animals, animal mm-hmm. cruelty. I, I know you mentioned, uh, gunshot we don't, victims. yeah, we've had stabbings and gunshot victims, all that stuff. So cool. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that. And I'm, I'm actually curious too, from our listeners, like how far their drive is for something like this. So depending on where, on where we are in the city, uh, it could be a, you know, with traffic, a 45, 50 minute drive.
2: Ooh, ouch! Yeah. I'm I'm lucky enough that mine is 20 minutes. Um, That's not bad. And to some degree, too, I work closely enough with our shelter that if I've got an animal that I'm like, this one needs medical attention, but it's ultimately just a stray animal. Like, I have no stake in the game on it. Hmm. Um, I'll just call the shelter and be like, hey, I know you guys are probably a little short staffed. You want me to just run it to the vet clinic instead of out to you? Um, so we're able to work together closely that way too, because we use the same clinic.
1: All right. Well, do you want to introduce our next guest?
2: Sure. Uh, Dr. Carlo Riolo, um, a very young veterinarian who owns his own awesome clinic. Carlo, <laughs> yeah. welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, of course, too. I, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for okay. joining us, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just to kind of touch on one thing before we get started, Um, you know, being Appreciation Week um, for you guys, I, I actually can't talk more about humane officers and like honestly the value in the community. Um, And I guess I'll I'll try not to ramble too much. But originally I grew up in the Lower Peninsula of Michigan. Of course now I'm up in Northern Wisconsin, Um, and it's actually just we just animal control we just had humane officers we had um you know individuals kind of more on that you know legislative side or kind of more on that uh you know policing side um that it was just that that's how we handled any you know strays or hit by cars or shelters and that kind of stuff and it was actually a big culture shock uh to come kind of up to the wasa area because um officer bishop you're the first so you know for our entire community I mean, and that, and that, I mean, how long did that take? I mean, I came up here in 2008. Um, I feel like you came on board. Was that uh, 10, 2013,
2: 12, 13, I thought
0: it was 12, but I knew it was right around there. But time flies. Um, <laughs> but up to that point, I mean, it was it was the Wild West, you yeah. know, and, and that's where I, I don't think, I mean, it, it, are you only allowed to have one week of appreciation? Like, can yeah, man, we wish <laughs> it's hard enough to get one week in. So. Uh, man, no, I'm telling you. And, you know, so, I, and, and, and I don't you know, I mean to kind of dominate the conversation here, but <clears throat> that's the other thing too. I mean, when we have, um, you know, cause my alma mater is Michigan state university and, you know, we have a professional development program, a mentorship system that we're developing with the veterinary school there. Um, and we do get veterinary students up and, you know, to them, it's also kind of the same thing. They're like, wait, what, like, what, uh, you mean a, a sheriff drove that patient, in <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what, what, do- <laughs> who does that? You know, and so it's just, it's again, it's a big culture shock to a lot of, you know, kind of like big city veterinarians or big city students or whatever that, like to to really know that the utility and the service that you guys provide to the community and really honestly to the industry, like I said, I think is widely undervalued um, because it takes on a whole different, um, you know, part of the job that, you know, you just kind of figure out in other parts of the country that are underserved. Um, And truthfully, I mean, once uh, Officer Bishop came On. I mean, for me, it was a huge sigh of relief because I was really kind of used to that type of relationship that we just didn't have. I mean, that was almost four or five years, um, you know, that it was just kind of like, (laughs) what do we do now? You know,
1: when you highlight some, yeah, I I was just going to say, he kind of highlights that underappreciation or just misconception of what we do and who we are, even, even in your industry. And so having those opportunities to talk to our vets and build those relationships are super important.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even just as much as like a phone number, like, who am I calling, you know, I mean, because it's, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, as Officer Bishop had said that we, you know, we really, we serve a pretty large area. Um, it's actually kind of mind boggling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is continues to grow every year, but um, we're, uh, depending on which cardinal direction you choose, um, we're pulling 100 miles in one direction. You know, and there's a little bit of overlap to the east, there's a little bit of overlap to the south. But I mean, it's a really, really large territory for us to cover. And, you know, it's it's always kind of a sigh of relief for us when it's like, oh, okay, this one, this one came from Marathon County, this one came from Wausau. You know, but as you kind of get out into those other counties, it's just like, who's transporting this? You know, I mean, it it is... Um, you know, for us, we just get so many different types of patients, but we do have where like people just br- like random good Samaritans will bring patients in from, you know, who knows where and, you know, each of the villages and each of the counties and everyone kind of has their own stipulations on who is actually responsible for that patient. Um, so it's, it's, a like I said, it's kind of, it's still a little bit of the wild west, but it's less that so much now. <laughs>
2: that actually explains a little bit more in the first case that you and I worked together, Carlo. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That'll never that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, all we'll say is a dog attacked by a bear who decided to get very angry on the highway with its family afterwards. Did so. you say
1: a dog attacked a bear? Uh, or who Knows, I'm trying well, to give the like, dog credit here, you know, it's
0: dog, not dog, much of a change. They
2: were, they were bear hunting, yeah. And then what the kind of dog, dog?
0: dog, uh, yeah, it was definitely some type of hound mix that's kind of like the dog of choice for a lot of the bear hunters up here, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, down south, they'll call them Calahula, up here, they'll just call them you know, coon or hound dogs, or you know, but yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, that was uh, yes, <laughs>
2: that, that was definitely that was, an that was, intriguing was, case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, you know, and I guess that's, that's one thing I kind of want to touch on, you know, from a vet's perspective. So you get an animal in from a jurisdiction, like, but it's a, let's say it's a stray. Somebody's not claiming this animal. What do you do? Do you rely on like calling up the humane officer or or animal control or whomever it is in whatever area? Because we, uh, if you haven't listened before. Dan and I have come up with, what, 26 now? I really think we're at close seven? to
1: 26 different names to define one single profession. So yeah, yeah there's
2: <laughs>
1: Thanks for bringing that up again.
2: <laughs> every time, every time. Um, but like, so an animal gets dropped off. Are, are you going to just try to call the humane officer or whatever from the general vicinity? Or what? what would you do in a clinic like that?
0: Yeah. So I'll kind of, um, yeah, I'll kind of take that uh, a little bit from beginning to end. So, you know, for us, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Nick Church, my my wife and I, when we took over the practice, um, that was actually one of the big questions we served to answer. Um, because up to that point, um, you know, because I, I think I've been up here for uh, maybe like eight years or something before that, give or take. Um, but it was just that it was it was a constant point of contention. Nobody knew. And, you know, we had you know, maybe like a front end manual or something like that, that like sort of had a sheriff's number from one, you know, <laughs> district, uh, you know, so what we have kind of systematically broke down um, is uh, my, my wife, Dr. Katie, Nixit, she actually runs our 501c3 division. So what, what we kind of did was is we were like, okay, fine. we We need to acknowledge that part of the responsibility of a veterinary business, um, and more so of course, veterinary practitioners, um is that it, it is actually our duty to integrate into the community. um not not necessarily because we want to or don't want to, but like you have to. there there is a certain amount of public service. Um, that is our responsibility. And some of that, again, you know, the obvious is, you know, Bob Barker, get your pet spayed and neutered <laughs> and so on and so forth. Right. Um, I, need to, I do need to jump in really quick. And so my question
1: to that, and, and maybe you can expand on that. So yeah, yeah. as a veterinarian office, you have, a, like you said, there's an expectation of public service. Yeah. One of the things that we find is in our community, I can't speak to yours. There sure. is animal shelter pretty much close to a lot of our veterinary, veterinary clinics. Yep. oftentimes they, like the person drives the animal there, right? Oh, and, sure. and they sure. don't say, hey, can you, can you just go down the road 10 minutes and drop it off at that local animal shelter? Because what tends to happen is they call us to come and do it. Now, you know, my day consists of investigations of bites, neglect, cruelty, oh, sure. all sorts of stuff. And so taking, you know, however much time to do that. Uh, yeah. Is that what you, is that what your office does? Will you bring in the animal and hold it? Um, I know you were kind of getting there, but I just yeah I know no for, yeah. yeah for junk. us it, it can yeah. be difficult in the sense of like man that's time you know time we could have used to to do something not that a stray animal isn't. How do I say that? Not that it isn't a priority. It's just not the highest of priorities.
0: Yeah. Pretty much everything we do, we say is according to triage. We have administrative triage. We have patient care triage. So that's all you're saying is that like you, what you have to do most immediately, your highest priority triage is like you said, some of the criminal cases investigations, like this patient is a priority, but I do have sort of this other thing that like really, really needs my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I kind of understand you I, I speak your lingo in that. So yeah, um, <clears throat> Yeah, we're, we, it's actually kind of an open book, to be honest. Um, an open door, I should say. Because for us, when we you know kind of created the 501c3 division and saying we have this public service, it was actually that sentiment is saying, okay, well, because not all of our communities actually have humane officers, um, and they kind of have a loose network of drivers for potentially the shelter in that area, like, sometimes we'll get, you know, walk-ins, emergencies, hit by car, strays, you know, whatever it is, at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So, yep. you know, yep. we're, you know, previously, we were just there after hours, now we're here 24 hours, so for us, it's, you know, in our new facility, we have, like, 99 cages and kennels, so like, I, yeah, please, like, please bring your patient, you know, this stray patient in um and whatever whatever district it happens to come from this county that county this has a, a human officer those other ones don't uh we'll just be like hey listen if you guys got volunteers or you have other people that are driving like please just just don't come at 3 a.m. Like, you're cool. Just leave it here, you know, and come pick it up in the morning. So it's kind of the same thing like uh, uh, the officer Bishop had sort of alluded to is it's kind of the same way in in that respect. So because we do have that community service element with our local shelter, so the one that is uh, dedicated to our county uh, four days a week, five days a week, four days a week, doesn't matter, but about four to five days a week, uh, we actually have constant transportation of spay neuter patients. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah.
0: So we do some procedures at the shelter. Of course we do all the, uh, CVIs and all that kind of stuff happens on site there. Uh, we do feline, uh, neuters there, but then like the spays and some of the, you know, just uh, more uh, anesthetic type procedures. We do those locally on site at our facility. So yeah, we constantly have that back and forth. And for us, we just kind of take the like, you know, like, I probably wouldn't want to drive out at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, you know, so it, it, you know, so we try, we try to kind of bring that element to it as well, um, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, like I said, part of that community service aspect and uh, element is um, just, you know, what is it that that district or that county or that community actually needs and sort of how can we fulfill that? um you know we've kind of integrated in a few other counties kind of taking on some of their spay neuter stuff but it's kind of the same thing there's only so much time in a day there's only you know so many veterinary hands to kind of get this stuff done um and that's like i said kind of kind of the, the focus of the 501c3 division is just focusing out how we can continue to serve the community
2: so would you say then that like for humane officers out there that maybe you know Working out of Timbuktu, who I mean, they've obviously got their local shelters sure. or local veterinary clinics, but you know maybe they're a hundred miles away from their uh, nearest emergency clinic like you guys. Right. Would you suggest them to like just reach out to them anyway and be like, "Hey, here's the areas I cover. Um, here's the types of animals. like if you guys get anything in, here's my contact information."
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that that was kind of where we had taken that initiative with the 501c3 division where we're like, hey, we know that people exist. We know that, you know, there are other shelters. We know that there have to be protocols in place in those shelters for when stray animals show up. We're not the first veterinary clinic to understand that they're strays and, you know, injured animals and that kind of stuff. Um, So I would say yes. Like our 501c3 division took the initiative to find all of those people. Who, who are we contacting if this comes from, you know, Southwood County? If this comes from that county, who are we actually calling? Because we want to write that into protocol. We want to write that into our training process. We want to write that into all of our clarity documents on who are we contacting, but then also, are there different individuals? So, do we have a um, shelter president? Do we have a financing, uh, a treasurer? You know, who's in charge of the money? Who's in charge of actually establishing consent? consent to medical care, consent to financial authorization. So um, that's what I I 100% agree with you is then going to the other side and saying, okay, well, if you guys have, you know, humane officers, I would say go and take that initiative to say, hey, this is the phone number of who can make all medical consent decisions. This is the phone number of the person who's in charge of the money. This is, you know, and, and more importantly than, hey, can we actually set up a relationship with your veterinary hospital that you can actually just set as on invoice so that our humane officers don't have to carry a credit card number around with them just because straight talk we got to bring in. Um, you know, and I, I think the, the more sort of things that you can take off the plate of the veterinarian, if there's one thing I know about veterinarians is that we really like tradition and being set in our ways. And now that sounds like a great idea. I'll do that one day, but it's like, if you can, if you can just sort of like, spoon feed the stuff into their mouth be like hey my name is officer so-and-so and and this person's in charge of the money and here's our thing to say we would like to be invoiced and that's the person that makes medical decisions they'd be like oh cool yeah we can do that for you (laughs) you know so it's it's kind of the more just who are the players who are the people you know is there is there a sergeant is there you know how what is that sort of breakdown um and then i would say an annual revisit so every single year be like oh hey since last year, this person's in charge of this now you know, and just kind of make it like, even if, even if, like you said, they're a hundred miles away and it's not even an emergency clinic they're going to go to once a year, um, take that initiative and really be like, you know, really try to just build that relationship. Even if it's just a once a year touch point, Hey guys, I'm, you know, glad that we haven't had to use in the last year, but I've really appreciated knowing that you guys are here when we need you or, you know, something like that. I mean, there's, there's sure. any ways you can kind of, you know, uh, kind of grease the wheels that way. But, um, but yeah, I would say that like single-handedly, the more information you can just take out of, uh, veterinarians having to take that initiative, um, um, would it dramatically increase overall compliance uh, within the veterinary staff and within the, within the veterinarians because then all that's there.
1: So I know Ashley wanted to dig into some of the things that we bring to the table when we're bringing an animal in and then some of the things that you may do that we're not necessarily aware of and, and how to kind of work together. So let's say a dog, let, let's say we're not even involved whatsoever and sure. a patient comes in, they're like, my God, my, my dog was attacked by another dog in the community. Are you are you treating that somewhat as an investigation? Are you taking photos before the humane officer arrives? Uh, Those type of things. Like, are you documenting anything that, as it would be a crime, or is that more so? We're going to wait until the officer gets on scene.
0: So we really lean hard into the medical record being a legal document. So one of the ways that I um, you know kind of coach, train, mentee the veterinarians that uh, we work with um, is I basically tell them, hey. If there is ever a dog bite, you know, someone's out walking their dog. I said, you have to list these criteria. The, so uh, we're just going to say Jane was walking her dog, Bailey. Okay. I say, all right. So was Jane and Bailey, were they on public ground or were they on private ground? Were they on a sidewalk? Whose dog was leashed? Whose dog wasn't leashed? Was Jane's dog running free or was she on the leash on concrete on public property and someone's dog ran off of their property off of leash and attacked both Jane and Bailey also is then uh did Jane suffer a human bite exposure and the dog was bitten or was it just the dog if Jane was bitten where if the dog was bitten where so for us like we try to just get absolutely as much information on where did the bite occur public land, private land, who was leashed, who wasn't, who ran off, who got bit, where did they get bit? Um, And that way, all that stuff is documented in the medical record. So then it then leads into, okay, well, okay, we got bit on the neck, we got bit on the whatever. So then in like sort of the physical exam and or surgical findings section of our medical record, it really goes in depth this size, this location, multiple bite wounds, this area. So again, we really kind of try to take it out of um, really any type of debate whatsoever, what happened, where it occurred. And that way, truthfully, at least in some respect, it goes both ways. One is um, it can protect the individual, the Jane, it can protect Jane. or if Jane was in the wrong, it also then, listen, the medical record, like, well, listen, Jane, you were walking your dog off leash. It ran up to someone else's property and it bit their dog and it fought their dog on their property where their dog was on a tie out. Like, Jane, you can't be mad at those people's dog. Like, you know, like that's, that's not how this <laughs> that works. That doesn't
2: ever happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, ever, right. Especially in the Northwoods um so so yeah so i guess you know from a photo standpoint um a lot of the times uh and truthfully i mean we we probably could be more diligent with the amount of photographs that we take uh, but a lot of the times that is then at the caregiver's request so jane would have to say hey can you get photos for us but i mean in today's day and age everyone has a freaking cell phone Mm -hmm. you know so most people are snapping their own photos um you know and for us we just make sure that like the story, you know, at least that we're being told, whether the story is truthful or not, we're at least, (laughs) you know, right. We're at least listing what we were told, you know, uh, in the medical record. Um, And a lot of people don't even, they don't think about it to be perfectly honest. When we start asking those questions, they're just like, Oh uh, yeah, no, I, I, my dog, and we were in, you know, or we were at a dog park or, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, just trying to be thorough. So
1: Ashley, does your state have a requirement? So our state veterinarians are mandatory reporters of animal cruelty or neglect so suspected cruelty or neglect bishop do you know is that a thing
2: i don't carlo correct me if i'm wrong i i don't know if they're mandatory reporters but you have immunity for if you do report
1: got it well yeah there's no client patient privilege when it comes to like records right that's not the hipaa laws right like it would be with humans yeah
0: yeah, and we actually on our uh, check-in forms. So I uh, all my check-in forms actually are going through legal review right now, just because I like to be very thorough all the time about everything. But anyway, so. You yeah, I just want to make sure that if anything happens, everyone's covered and we all have an agreement with one another. I don't think that's too much. That has. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but no, actually a part of our, um, so a lot of the way in which I write our legal documents, a lot of the way actually I create policy for our hospital, um, I actually investigate state law before I write a lot of those policies. Um, and one of them is actually making a notation on our medical records um, that at any point in time, if requested by law enforcement, uh, we will divulge all medical information and entire medical records. So that's actually on our check-in form that people sign off on. Uh, whether they choose to read it or not, that's their own thing. But I don't know. I, if have,
2: to, I have to say I enjoy working with your clinic for that reason because <laughs> the number of clinics that I have to pull out the state no. statute and being like no. no. <laughs> you have to give this to me.
0: Yes, yes. The Veterinary State Examining Board and any public, yeah, public office that way. It's like, why are, no, it's, this yeah. is not, yeah, do you understand what an investigation is? like? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I'm part of that's just transparency as well. You know, I mean, just to make sure that it's on the paperwork if someone actually does read it, uh, which they usually don't, but, um, but yeah, I'm uh, truthfully, I'm not too sure about the mandatory reporting. Um, But I do actually get a lot of questions from veterinary students um, about how to handle neglect, to be honest. Um, And it is, it is kind of a challenging conversation to have. I mean, you guys know that.
1: So maybe it's something you and Bishop can work together on some sort of training with these students, you know? Yeah. I mean,
2: I can say that I have had clinics contact me with concerns for the animals Mm -hmm. um, to follow up on. In fact, I believe you're clinic was one of them yeah, yeah. like maybe one case but
0: yeah, yeah we've had yeah. a we've had a couple of suspected hoarders um mm. and yeah i think i think that was actually one of them that uh we had worked together on because it was just it was getting to a point where it's just like oh okay you yeah. know this is this is not you know, and, and I think that's actually where some of the hesitation comes from your younger veterinary professional, uh, whether it be a veterinary nurse technician or veterinarian. Um, is I think that's where a lot of that hesitation comes from is, oh, what is going to be, you know, what is going to be the backlash? You know, what is this client? Oh, my God, they're going to know I reported them. And, you know, uh, I'm the only one who knows about this. And, you know, what, am, you know, am I going to suffer social media backlash and mm-hmm. you know, all sort of these different things? And one of the creeds that uh, we talk about all the time in our clinic, I mean, we basically live by the virtue. Uh There's basically two uh, shared fundamentals that we've established in our organization. One is called serve the patient. Uh, the other one is educate the caregiver. Um, so we actually will fail our job at every point if we don't do those two things. Um, caregiver, of course, in this context, our organization doesn't use owners, pet parents, uh, anything like that. We use uh, caregivers for the humans that bring the animals in. Thank God you don't use pet parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, it's uh, so. all
1: uh, Did not, I say that? Oh, I didn't know I even said that out
0: loud. <laughs> not to get too far off into that rabbit hole, because I think I have like I don't know, probably a couple hours of recorded content on just that. But uh, but uh, caregivers is a uh, it's a, it, it levels the playing field. Um, is that it, it does uh, give context to the to the human and the element that they are actually here to care for the animal. They don't own them, and they're not their parent. Uh, that is actually ownership and uh, pet mm-hmm. parent uh actually has to do with um animal bond spectrum so you know if you had someone that uh you know has a farm dog and you call them a pet parent they're going to look at you crazy uh versus sure. 100%. A pet parent call their dog a you know a, 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 an animal, they're going to be, well, no, this is my child. So what, the caregiver is that universal term that allows us to um, address an animal and their relationship to their human uh, by in a universal term that uh, doesn't step on any one person's toes. Uh, so anyway, that's just a little thing. Not to go too far off into that. But anyway. Um, well, <laughs> I mean... Yeah.
2: I, I mean- I don't, I don't know if we'd go down a rabbit hole on this one, but, you know, your guys' views on there's, what is it, three different, um, the, the, the triangle of animal care. You have to have a veterinarian willing, a caregiver oh. willing, and then <laughs> yes. animal willingness. To,
0: yes, yes. Yeah, know, we we got Three three active participants. Yes. Um, Yes, yes. So you have to have a veterinarian uh, ready, willing, and able to diagnose um, and provide treatment. Uh, You have to have a caregiver ready, willing, and able to um, either elect those treatments and perform those treatments at home. That's why we call them caregivers, because you are going to be providing X number of medications X number of times per day. You're just as much of a part of this care team as we are. Um, So that's where the humans have to be ready, willing, and able. And then the third uh, willing participant has to be the animal. So they have to be ready, willing, and able to receive receive those treatments. So it actually doesn't matter how much a veterinarian wants to diagnose and treat a patient if the caregiver doesn't want us to. It doesn't matter how much a caregiver wants to treat their patient if the veterinarian is their barrier. And ultimately, if the veterinarian and the caregiver are on the same team, and this cat is like, do not touch me. <laughs> like, I don't care how many tests we have on uh, in the lab, and I don't care how many drugs we have, because if the cat's like, <laughs> Lol. Then all of this falls apart. So yeah, that's the that's the uh, yeah three three willing participants.
2: And I and I think part of that to bring it back around to you know what we see in the field is okay. I'm going to give you an example of my cat. Sure. I had it if I would have had a humane officer or anybody that knew anything about animals walk into my house when we still had um, Arangelo, also known as Little Shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> He was emaciated. Yeah. Now we ran all the blood work. His, his thyroid was fine. His liver was fine. His kidneys were fine. He was eating, he was drinking. He was fine. We couldn't figure out why. Why? But he was also a cat that did not like attention. He did not like to be picked up. He did not like to be held because he was so sick when he was little. And I medicated him so much yeah. that he had like PTSD from it.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't, t- I know what you're doing Keep <laughs> you close to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so with him, it was a matter of when we got the blood work back and realized that, you know, there was nothing significant on there. I said, can we wait until we have another symptom? And the vet agreed that like, yeah, that that would be reasonable in this respect. So when we go out on cases and we see an animal who obviously is not in good health, your first question should be, have you been to a vet? Yes. Okay. Which vet? And when was the last time? Because maybe one of those three dynamics just isn't working there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that there's neglect going on.
0: Yeah. And, um, honestly, that kind of builds off of you know, what I was saying a few minutes ago with veterinary students and such, because that's, that's the debate, right? So if we have a caregiver bringing in a patient for care, who by standard definition is like, OMG, uh, <laughs> You know, so it's really that like uh- oh type factor is that's where then you know they kind of say like, well, you know, this animal was clearly neglected, uh, these people need to be reported, and it's like yeah, yeah, so yeah, sort of, I mean, right. they're here and they're seeking care and they they want labs or they want treatments, um you know, so that's that's one where it's like that's why that's why I kind of talk to them and you know, kind of go through some of these questions that they have, uh, some of it you can just tell us kind of an inexperienced question where it's like, oh, this is a textbook question that they taught you in ethics class. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, so it's, it's a matter of really having that honest discussion of reality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know you guys come across this, but like sometimes the reality is so we talk about three willing participants, like sometimes we're actually dealing with a human uh, that might have very slow processing speed. Like they, they, might, they might not be the most observational. They might not actually know some of these things. And when you tell them it's as bad as it is, they're like, oh my God, I, you mean, oh my God, yeah. he's been suffering all this time? I, you know, and then they feel, uh, they feel just terrible.
2: Did you see the one that I, the Sheltie I brought in that got attacked by the St. Bernard? No, no. They, I got called because this woman reportedly hit the dog with a shovel. She was just breaking up a dog fight, but the dog's face, um, I just noticed a little bit of blood on the top of his head. And then when I finally felt down the side, I felt it was all swollen and the bite had happened about a week prior. Oh, sure. And I said, I'm leaving your house right now. You are getting your dog to the vet. And they're like, well, what if we can't get in? I said, you're, you're going to go to the emergency clinic then. And I said, you are getting this dog into the vet right now. Oh, yeah because all they were doing that day all they had been doing was putting an ice pack on. They right. they didn't clean out anything. And he had several puncture wounds to okay. the top of his skull and under his chin and stuff. And it was all infected and filled yeah. and yeah. smelled nasty. Um, and it, it, he actually called me the next day and said, Hey, thanks for making me take my dog. in." Yeah. I had yeah. no and idea. That's,
0: that's out there, you know, so it's, and that's where, you know, one of, um, you know, basically we have four core values in our organization, uh, trust, respect, unity, and accountability. Um, So those are four things that are governing principles within our organization. And one of the ideals is that the caregiver is actually part of our medical team. We didn't say that core values go to employees. That's not what we said. We said core values of trust, respect, unity, and accountability goes to the entire care team, which includes the caregiver. So just that that meeting that I had years ago, everyone's like, oh, uh, okay. So it started to kind of change our dynamic of how we were thinking about people, how we were dealing, you know, caregivers, of course, how we were dealing with caregivers. Um, and, you know, really extending trust, extending respect, you know, but, but in, the same, in the same thing, holding them accountable to their decision-making process. So, you know, if they had made, you know, an error in judgment, if they had been making consecutive errors in judgment, um, is you're not, you're not giving that a free pass. Um, and truthfully, uh, that being said, uh, it's actually why I don't have uh, the best, uh, you know, bedside manner, you know, because. Uh, you know. <laughs> I, I will say uh, yeah. I
2: have heard that on, on yes, one yes. Of so for
0: me, though so it's a
1: fine line for you though cuz you want to balance like a client relationship but also do things with morals right and you want to do things for the best of the the animals so that i would imagine that's a difficult
0: thing to balance well it is and you know our our industry as a whole um is very altruistic you know so for us uh as a whole most of us are conflict averse we don't want to have the hard conversations we don't want to create awkward tension we don't want to you know kind of have unnecessary conflict in that capacity um yeah i don't care you know i mean (laughs) You know, most of me, because that, that's the whole, our, our two ideals are what serve the patient and educate the caregiver. So if I can't get through to these people to educate them on how to actually serve their patient, cause that's their job. They are here to serve their patient just as much as we are. And if I, if I got a thick cold, a thick skulled human and I just can't get through to them, I'm going to start to use like the not nice words. Like I, I don't swear in consults anymore, but like, you know, like, Anymore, yeah. Was, <laughs> anymore, uh, so I don't even know if I have on on, on this uh, on this recording yet. I'm, I'm I really have a pretty fall mouth, but I think I've done pretty good so far. Um, is uh, but it's just that it's the accountability component. So it's, no, I, I actually have to do my best to educate this person. And if in my attempts at educate them in a non-judgmental way, like I'm being respectful, that's the thing. You have to usher respect into the conversation, but you can't usher in respect at the um, a sort of loss of accountability, right? So you're right. So that's where it's like, all right, well, if I have to push this person harder, and you know what? There's a lot of people in denial. You know, there's a lot of people going through emotional responses. There's a lot of people having their own stuff. Their dad died and this and that, and this and that. There's just other extenuating circumstances. Like I feel sorry for them as a human, but when I am here, I am here to serve the patients and I'm going to have to dish out that plate. And you're exactly right. It is a fine line. Um, But at the end of the day, why are we in this industry?
1: Yeah. But if it's done with tact, I think it can be, it can accomplish that. So I, I know I appreciate that from from people. And it, like you mentioned, I mean, people could be dealing with mental health episodes. They could have drug addiction or alcohol addiction problems and they're coming there, you know, c- kind of last resort. And then you're, if you're judgmental, like, well, what the hell dude, this has been going right. on for years. Don't tell me that this, like you're the expert in this case. Like, it's like Bishop and I can talk about, Oh yeah. The dog just stopped eating three days ago, but it's a, <laughs> one, one, a nine. one to nine scale. You're like, yeah. Yeah. You're like, nah, nah. It, it's <laughs> sorry, bro. Um, And so much
0: respect to you
1: to be able to have those conversations that are difficult with tact, but also being real about it. Because if we don't address it, well, that's
0: that's the key point, right? So not just that behavior is going to continue with this one patient, but there's a good chance the human you're looking at is going to outlive the animal. So it's what happens with the next one, what happens with the next one, what happens with the next one, uh, and or does that human also have human children, and those human children are being brought up in a household that, well, this is the way that we just treat dogs, and it just continues to perpetuate, perpetuate, and it just keeps going and going and going. Um, and that you're exactly right. It's you, you have to. You have to try to stop these things, and that's part of the community service element, is you have to do your best to the best of your abilities, um, and if that comes at some social backlash... At the end of the day, if you serve the patient, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a whooping worth taking. I agree,
1: absolutely, Bishop. You got anything else before you wrap up?
2: Um. Well, Carlo, do you want to talk about your podcast so that anybody who wants to hear more about you and your ideals and like how your clinic's going, yeah. like give <laughs> okay, yourself a sure, shout out. Sure.
0: Uh, yeah and actually on that uh, it's it's uh, kind of an opportune time so uh pawhealth.net so that's p a w h e a l t h.net or pawhealthnetwork.com either way um, So on that, we're actually in the process of developing a full education portal. Um, That education portal uh, is going to be for veterinary students, veterinary professionals, really anyone in the veterinary industry, humane officers, that's fine, whoever, anyone in the veterinary industry, that's who we're making it for. And one of our passions as an organization, like we said, is serve the patients and educate the caregiver. Um, But we are tackling the industry at at a fundamental level. Um, And what we're trying to do, is basically fix everything. I know it's a really lofty goal. (laughs) Uh, Again, if you want to (laughs) go to our website, uh, we have a podcast, which we call a podcast, LOL. Uh, So on our, on our uh, podcast, uh, we actually do talk about uh, really the problems within the industry from the pers- perspective of a veterinarian. So, uh, really, like the first uh, maybe like six episodes um, is really applicable to anybody. It can be caregivers, um, it can be humane officers, it can be honestly anyone to see how a uh, professional uh, uh, really views, or at least trying to be a progressive individual, really views the industry and the struggles that we have as an industry. Um, but really, what comes in after that is uh, culture and core values, uh, process and, uh, you know, potential. I mean, there's a lot of different resources that we have, uh, Ben Glasscock. Uh, he was actually uh, a talent strategist and strategic planner. He's now our director of marketing. So we've instituted a ton of processes in our hospital that help that actually outlines. Um, and that's, what's going to be currently there in podcast form, but then we're going to actually in the education portal have more items for download and training and so on and so forth. But it talks about in your team, um, this is this is not with caregivers, this within your actual team, I don't care what your team is, if you have 15 humane officers, if you have two and you have a sergeant, whatever it is, like, how are people actually supposed to work with one another? So what happens when there's, like, conflict in the workplace? How do we actually instill core values? How do we actually make sure that we are aligned with what our community, you know, wants? So it talks a lot about that kind of thing. So um, really, like I said, some, some very, very progressive things, well beyond just that of a veterinary practice. Um, it really is trying. We really are trying to be the force of change within the industry um, on, a, on a consumable form, a consumable platform, um, and really trying to give the tools to uh, veterinarians, uh, veterinary technicians, nurses, humane officers, whoever can use these uh, to make sure that your team is focused on the objective. Whatever your objective is, whatever your mission statement is, it's tools uh, in a very consumable format to make that happen. Thanks. And
2: I've listened and it's it really has been very eye opening. Go ahead Dan, sorry.
1: No, you're good. I I think it's about that why and I think uh, that's the important thing is understanding why we do what we do and and being here and and so I I really okay. appreciate what you have going on on your yeah, on your level of, because it reaches everywhere. It's not just, you know, it's not just one area of focus. And so, you know, we hopefully some of our listeners can yeah, check it out. Yeah, it's pawhealth.net
0: is the short one. So p a w h e a l t h dot net. So like an animal's foot, a paw health dot net, and uh, paw stands for purpose and well being. So that's our pretty much our governing principle internally. So
1: that's awesome, and so we appreciate it here, and I think we should continue those conversations yeah. offline and, and have you back on, and maybe one oh of us absolutely on your show at some point, and. Uh, you know, we we you know on the humane roundup, we really wanted to create something that was here for our field, but also was able like this is it's not like going to to Apple podcast or Spotify. Yeah, Anybody can do it. So if if so, if some <laughs> you don't have to be in this industry specifically to do it. You could be someone that just wants to wants to learn more about animal welfare, or maybe that's a, a goal as you know as you grow up and go to college and stuff, and and those options are available. So having more. I think pointed cert, I guess pointed conversations towards like what we're doing to help the community, whether it's re- resource driven. I, we didn't have enough time today to talk about your uh, nonprofit and maybe that's something you can come back on and talk about and you know, what, what the purpose is there and how that can help in the community. I think sure. Something yeah. Any like of it.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it's all on the table. I'm pretty open. So yeah, whatever, whatever works, we're pretty good. So I'm like I said, I, I mean, I uh, thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm uh, uh, more than appreciative. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you
2: for having us being on. I don't
1: <laughs> taking know. Taking the time <laughs> taking the time out of the day yeah. for sure, man. There it's we go. late. It is late. And so we appreciate it. And just want to remind all of our listeners coming up soon is that animal control officer, animal protection officer, humane officer appreciation week. Give us a call. Shout out your peeps, man. Just all you got to do is leave a voicemail, 916-241-3464. And as always, on the Humane Roundup. Bishop, are we gonna give it a try?
2: All right. Sounds good. We keep it humane. humane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. Man, we, we appreciate you taking the time out again yes, today like, to join us and, and hopefully uh, we can continue to collaborate with that as we do more than happy. Thank you.